What up, world? Surpass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday. We're answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this every week, season or not, cruising through the offseason. If you want to get involved, there's a couple ways to do it. You can just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can send me a question whenever you're thinking of it, or you can wait for Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or you're someone who just doesn't tweet, there's another way to get involved. You can email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to do it. Like I said, we do this every week. I recognize that every Locked On Blazers is someone's first Locked On Blazers, so welcome. That's the preamble. Now here's the show. Our first question comes from Tamtarius the Greek. That's Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks, if Nurkic can shoot the three now at an average level, could he be the Blazers' second all-star next year? In theory, sure. In practice, I don't know if that's reasonable. The league average from three-point range this season was 35.8%, so basically 36% from three. Over the last two regular seasons and the playoffs combined, your sweet center, Yusuf Nurkic, is 8 for 50 from three. It's 3 for 29 during the 18-19 season, 2 for 10 during the abbreviated 1920 campaign, and 3 for 10 in the playoffs against the Lakers. 8 for 50 over his last 90 games or whatever when he decided that he was going to shoot threes with some regularity. That's 16%. I'm not sure I see a world in which Yusuf Nurkic makes a massive jump to being a 36% three-point shooter. And that's what he'd have to be to be league average. That's what he'd have to be to have it, in my mind, to be worthwhile. Even big guys who shoot threes kind of poorly, but at least enough say, uh, Nikola Jokic, he shoots like 31, 30, 30 or 31% from three over the last two seasons. That's basically a point per shot. You know, you get to 33%. That's a point per, per three-point attempt for, the, for my math heads out there. Nurk isn't approaching that. And when you put him out of the three-point line, it negates all the things that he's good at. Now, away from the rim, he can be a passer. Obviously, he's a screener on the perimeter. But on offense, you want him in the paint. You want him in there to get rebounds and to make layups. So while... I think that in theory, if he was all of a sudden a a bleak average or slightly above average three-point shooter, that he'd be all-star potential. He's not that. And I don't think that, I think obsessing over Nurk shooting threes is misguided. Um, It's it's just, it's it's trying to make perfectly good player and improving player Yusuf Nurkic the square peg of very good center and make him fit into the round hole of modern basketball. And that's not what the Blazers need. They just need him to be good. They don't need him to be good in a specific way. Next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus on Twitter, who asks, if the team can obtain another all-star level player this year, is it most likely to come from the draft, free agency, trade, or someone already on the roster? Can they get that player without moving CJ and Nurk? This is... I like this question because I think the clear goal, as Tamterius the Greek recognized in the first question and that the Rev here is recognizing the second question, is that the Blazers need to acquire a second all-star. 
they have Damian Lillard. They need to pair him with another, you know, one of the 15 best players in the Western Conference. That's what that's that has to be the goal, right? That's how this team makes a leap forward. But the the question is sort of what avenue do they go about that? I don't think you can draft one. Uh, it's been a long time since a rookie has made an All Star team. In fact, the last rookie to make an All Star team was was Blake Griffin back in 2011, and before him it was Yao Ming, and before him it was Tim Duncan. So that's since 1998, three rookies have made the All-Star team. So let's say it's not a rookie. I don't think it's a signing. I don't think the Bla- the Blazers basically have a mid-level exception to sign someone for about $8 million bucks, and the biannual exception to sign someone for about $2.5 million, $3 million. I don't think that level of player is very likely to turn into an All-Star. Uh, maybe, but I think that's unlikely. So the way to do it is internal development or trade. Uh, I'm not really a believer that either CJ or Nurk can become all-stars. CJ, because I think he's a finished product, he's just a pretty darn good player, but he's he's not that all-star level, and there's just so many freaking good guards in the West. And Nurk, because also the numbers crunch in the West, he's already going to be behind bigs like Jokic and Gobert and Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns. It just seems unlikely he makes that jump where he's significantly better than them, and he doesn't, he, you know, leaps them in the sort of all-star fraternity and also popularity and all those things. He, he could may- he can maybe be a better basketball player than Cat uh, this season, and maybe go bear too if he really takes a massive leap. But it, it just seems unlikely. So the way to do it is a trade. The problem is I don't think you can make that trade without trading CJ or Nurk. Uh, I don't think the Blazers have the tools to upgrade the roster and get an All Star caliber player or someone who could morph into an All Star by the beginning of, or by the middle of next season when the voting happens without trading one of their second or third best guys. So no, I don't I think the only way to to for them to acquire an all-star is CJ and Nurk, and if that's a non-starter for you, I don't think it's happening this year. Next question comes from Andy Patton, that's Andy Patton SEA, Andy Patton of Seattle, Seattle's own, who asks, "Does it make sense for the Blazers to pursue a reunion with Kent Bazemore in free agency, or does Gary Trent Jr.'s emergence and Hood Ariza's presumed role next year make him unnecessary?" Smarter people than me think that the Blazers are could pursue a backup guard, but most of those people assume it's going to be a backup point guard. John Hollander of The Athletic and Jason Quick of The Athletic have both posited the idea that they're going to, or that the team should add a backup point guard. I just don't see it happening. Um, Just judging by the way Neil Olshay does business, I think he is committed to Damon CJ. I think he's committed to Anthony Simons getting a a real shot yet again in year three. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. is going to play big minutes. Hood and Ariza are going to play a ton of minutes on the wing. Uh, I don't think adding a 2-3 like Bazemore, who was really bad in his in his Blazers minutes, is is a solution. Um, beyond just the positional stuff, the way Neil does business, I would be there's no chance he brings back Baze. Zero chance that Neil would do that. But even just if you're talking about fit wise, I'm not a fan of it either. Next question comes from Seth Allen. That's at Seth Ball on Twitter, who says, "What do you think about trading CJ?" Seth Ball playing all the hits. Uh, here's my thoughts on trading CJ McCollum. It's going to be difficult to trade him and get back this player that I think all of us naturally agree is better in a a roster upgrade because CJ's making a ton of money. And I think in, I don't know that he's viewed super favorably across the league that not meaning that like people dislike CJ McCollum, just that I don't think people maybe see him as a, as a franchise altering guard. They see him as a really good player on a max contract and the sort of really good player on a max contract is usually more valuable to his own market where he receives said max contract than he is on the open market where 
teams maybe don't want to commit that much money to someone who just celebrated his 29th birthday this week. Happy birthday to CJ McCollum. So I think you try to trade him if you can. I, I'm I'm of the belief that this that the clock's ticking and it's time to take a big swing. It's time to try to get really good and knowing that you might by doing that end up really bad. Uh, I think this season was a reminder of sort of how fragile this could be. It feels like a lost year, a year where they were thought they were competitive, just didn't have the roster, and then got some unfortunate injuries and ended up the eighth seed in the West and just got punked out of the playoffs by a way better team. Season ended way shorter because maybe they misevaluated what they had. So I'm of the opinion that if you have C.J. McCollum, if you can find a deal for C.J. McCollum, you do it. You find a forward, a, a high-level forward. I just don't think you're getting back someone who is going to be as good as him and his contract is such that you might have to attach a first round pick to get rid of him like a sweetener to get rid of him uh he might have negative value as they say as a contract so i don't think it's easy to trade senior column but i am in favor of figuring out what his market is i'm in favor of fielding those phone calls all right let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions but before we do that i want to tell you all about rockauto.com you know rockauto.com because they are the family business that's been serve, serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need, from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil, even new carpet. And the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brands, the specifications, and prices you prefer. And oh, those prices because at rockauto.com they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as the do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same parts don't do that instead go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck and while you're there make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com All right, let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from KJM underscore B-Ball at B-Ball KJM on Twitter who says, What are your thoughts on Nazir Little's potential? His body type makes it seem like he could be a wing defender we need. Can you see his offensive game evolving to the point where he's an OG Ananobi type player? Or is he going to be more along the lines of a Tory Craig? Those are really good comps for Nazir Little. Uh... I think Nazir Little has a chance to be a high-level role player in the NBA, which is why I like those comps. Those are two pretty good role players. The difference in OG Ananobi and Torrey Craig, though, is, is, is fairly wide. Craig is a limited sort of defensive-minded player, but not even maybe a plus defender, just a guy who, who competes hard on the defensive end. You can, get a lot, you can get a lot of defensive energy out of him, even if he's in a true stopper. Where OG Ananobi is really maybe one of the better wing defenders in the league, and he's got a little more offensive game than Craig. So my feeling is that after year one, I'd say Nazir Little's probably trending more towards Torrey Craig. Uh, doesn't have a lot of individual offense, wasn't much of a shooter. You know, had some moments where he, he looked like he could be a, a NBA-type defender as a teenager, but obviously wasn't ready. And like judging what he did on defense as a as a rookie really isn't fair. But OG Nobi is just, he just has a more refined game, a more versatile game. And I think he's um, a little bit headier on the defensive end. So right now, I'd say Nazir Little is trending towards Torrey Craig, but I'd say his potential, what I believe his potential, I think he could be OG Ananobi. I think he could, I think he could be a really solid fourth starter in the NBA. 
Will he get there? That's hard to realize. It's hard to realize your full potential. But he certainly, in my mind, that is roughly his ceiling, is just a really solid fourth starter in the league. Okay, next question comes from Adam, at Real Mike Stand on Twitter, who asks, What do you miss most, slash least, about being on the beat full-time? How did you end up on Lockdown Blazers? And second question, any plans to have guests or co-hosts in the future? Yeah, uh, we're going to try to have some guests m- further into the off-season with a full-time day job and then covering the team for NBC Sports in the evenings. It can be hard to get guests who want to come on the show after 11.30 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Uh, n- not always super easy, but I, um, I, uh, I, I hear your feedback. A one-man show is fun, but it's not fun for n- nine months out of the year. So we'll get some guests on here. We'll get some conversations going. What do I miss most and least about the beat? I think what I miss least about the beat is being away from home and being in an airplane a bunch. The travel is real and and um, it takes a lot out of you. Uh, it's it's weird now, sort of in the current times, to think about traveling and being in hotels and being in different cities and all that stuff. But uh, just you know, if I can get back in the time machine, it's just it's just a, a lot of a lot of moving around um, and a lot of uh, it's just a lot of weird hours where you. Uh, stay up late, wake up early, get on a plane, fly from Milwaukee to Chicago or take the train. And then the next day you're flying to Minneapolis and the next day you're flying to uh, Salt Lake City and then you're home and you're home for a day and then you're in Phoenix and then you're, you know, it's just, um, it's, it is a, it is a real grind. And during that real grind, you're trying to do interesting reporting. So coupled in that is, I think what I miss the most, I think what I miss the most is being able to tell an interesting story, learn something about, you know, a guy like Trevor Ariza or Kent Bazemore, who's new to the team, or Mario Azonia, who's new to the team, and kind of just get to know them and help tell tell an interesting story, illuminate more about what they're like, or or have a have be able to have conversations, be like, why are the Blazers doing this, and being able to go talk to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Terry Stotts, um, and say, why are why are y'all like this? Why are you why 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 defend this way? Why why run this pick and roll so many damn times and being able to talk to the people who are the actors actually involved in the play and get them to give you real insight i find it interesting and i and the part i loved about being on the beat was taking those things i find interesting kind of distilling them into to ways that readers could find them interesting so guess what you can't do the best part which is the storytelling without the worst part which is flying on an airplane all the time how did i end up on locked on blazers um i had been on the Blazers beat for four seasons. I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritty details, but uh, when Eric Gunderson stepped away or made it clear that he wasn't, he was not going to continue on with his podcast, David Locke reached out to folks who were around the beat and asked them if they wanted to do it. And I was the one who said yes. All right. Adam, you snuck in like four questions there. Congratulations. Logan Gillis gives us our next question at Logan Gillis on Twitter who asks, truth bomb time. You frequently say you're not a fan of the Blazers, but come on, you've covered this team for the better part of a decade behind that gruff, impartial journalist. There must be some part of you that roots for the team for reasons besides interest, interesting content. You know, maybe you're trying to get me to reveal my inner my inner pinwheel here, but to be totally totally clear 
being around a sports team and covering sports for a living has not only sort of atrophied my interest in or my like fandom in in the Blazers because don't get it twisted when I moved here as a college student I latched onto the Blazers and decided to be a fan of a team that I had no connection to and I rooted for those LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy teams um you know four or five years later when I became a member of the media I don't think I totally shook that off and then four or five years after that maybe longer when I be- started got on the beat it wasn't like that I could just be like oh yeah those eight years of chosen fandom don't exist but being around the team and covering the team for six seasons really four seasons day to day with the Oregonian four plus um it really atrophied my my sort of fandom in all sports. I used to be a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I've kind of lost my interest in them. Uh, I used to follow baseball, and I've kind of lost my interest in that. I just I just don't I I think it just reduced my bandwidth for caring about sports because a lot of my brain had to think about sports in sort of like an analytical and like you said interesting content way. So um, it's not so much that I like I'm faking the funk and I'm, I'm, I'm a secret blazer fan. It's more that I just like, I, I think I literally lost the physical ability to root for teams. The only team that I have an emotional connection to, and I, and I feel like I'm someone who really understands fandom. Um, I have an appreciation of what it means to be a fan. And the only team I have an emotional connection to where I like feel good or bad, depending on their win or losses is the North Carolina Tar Heels. I haven't lost that. Um, I've lost it with the Pittsburgh Steelers and um, I've, I've just very genuinely lost it with the Blazers. I have no emotional connection. That said, I do like Damian Lillard a lot as a basketball player. I think he's one of the most fun players to watch in the league. So there are moments like when he hits a 37-footer to beat OKC where even part of me is like, damn, that was so cool to be here. That was, you know, um, there are, I just, I love the NBA. So there are moments that I absolutely enjoy about this team. But in terms of like saying, in terms of like even something internal in me that's like, I hope they win, quietly at the end of a game it just doesn't exist anymore it's 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 gone it's gone logan i can't bring it back i'm sorry i've been hardened by the beat next question comes from tam Terrius the greek who you may remember from the first section at tam the greek on twitter who asks assuming the blazers are going to use their mid-level exception on a forward which center could the blazers target at the minimum is there any possibility the mid-level exception goes to a center or even to mellow yeah i mean someone's going to get that money right uh, I think there's an outside chance it goes to a center. I think the most likely um, choice with the mid-level exception is someone who can play three and four, um, you know, a versatile wing defender. They really don't have a four on the roster right now. Um, they should go get one of those. So you would hope that that's who they spend their money on. But like a true power forwards in the league probably aren't worth the full mid-level exception. And that is a, um, that you can split that up. You can give it to, you can give, part of the MLE to one player and part of it to the other. The Blazers did it in the past when they gave a portion of it to sign Gary Trent Jr. So yeah, Mello might get a part of it if he needs, if the Blazers need to offer him more than the minimum. I wouldn't be a fan of that, but there's a chance that happens. But if there are centers, they should target on the minimum uh, two names that I have floated in the past and I will float here for you, John Henson and Billy Hernan Gomez. Okay, next question comes from Michael from Gmail. And Michael says, I still want to trade for a meaningful 3 and D contributor slash offensive initiator, but don't we all? We do. We do. That's, that's the best type of player in the NBA, right? Um, Michael adds, I'm still pessimistic, and I still don't see an end in sight outside a massive third year and second year improvements from Nas and Ant. That's Nazir Little and Anthony Simons. Though the pressure is on. You said yourself, Layman, Crab, Patty C, even J.J. Hickson got paid because of the Blazers heralded internal improvements efforts. However, 
I'm firmly in the Dame, CJ, and Nurkic's prime. The team is an increasingly in win-now mode, leaving little time to take three-year improvement swings on players like Zach Collins, Simons, and Nazir Littles. Very young basketball players, not going to bury them, but let's be honest, their primes are more 2026 than 2021. This being said, most of these projects are uh, not going so well. Here's a lukewarm take. The Blazers are not one piece away. We are several pieces. And the pieces we do have and continue to rely upon, considering our lack of free agent and trade success, outside of Mello, I guess, are given roles and responsibilities they cannot fill. In the past, I have said trade for Ben Simmons, but even with him or Giannis, I would be shocked if the Blazers won a championship due to the gap in talent between its stars and role players. Mike. Why do I do this to myself? I want to be a ge- I want a more general answer from you. Do the Blazers even try to risk their collective asses on a game-changing trade for a starter-level forward player, or does what we have seen seem good enough to swing away on talented teenagers and stay the course? What the hell do we do? So I read that whole long um, email because one, it's an example of how much you can write if you have a Gmail account. My goodness. But I also think it kind of lays out my thesis for what I've been talking about all offseason is that the Blazers should take a massive swing. But even if they do, there's no guarantees. Um, And my belief wholeheartedly to answer your question in general, Michael, is that they don't. Is that they think this Dame CJ Nurk core with the belief in their own internal improvement can get them there? Um, I think they'll explore some stuff. I think there's going to be maybe there. I think that there's a chance they do very little in the off season. Um, I'll probably end up being wrong about that. They'll probably make some tr- some swings that I didn't see coming. But I think that they have a group right now that has Neil's fingerprints all over it in terms of development and trades and all these things like guys that he's he's handpicked obviously he's been the GM forever so they're all handpicked but even more specifically you know trading for Rodney at at uh at the trade deadline and then offering him a deal you know drafting Zach drafting Ant drafting CJ drafting Nazir uh drafting Dame obviously he's not going anywhere but uh you know tra- trading for Nurk and then signing him all these things they have there these are these are just sort of Neil's he's picked all these guys twice basically other than than Trevor Ariza so I think that while they I agree with you that they're probably more moves away from winning a championship if they added Giannis dude they're they would be pretty close to winning a title Giannis and Dame would be a pretty good pairing in any case I don't see them taking that big swing I think it's unlikely. I think they run it back with these tre- these teenagers and these and, and their best player in franchise history and see what they have. I think they view themselves as a co- very competitive team when healthy. Whether that very competitive team translates to any championship equity remains to be seen. I am skeptical, and it sounds like you are too. Okay, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28 on Twitter who asks, draft the best team possible using only players who love to troll others, social media or in person, past or current. I'm going to go with only active players. Here's my all troll team. Chris Paul, absolute troll, someone who knows the rules and is constantly getting you in trouble for breaking the rules and also doing grimy stuff like flopping. Pat Bev will talk smack from the bench constantly and also flop and do grimy stuff. Total troll. Kevin Durant, perhaps the definition of an internet troll. Just a truly bizarre adult. Draymond Green, one time during a title parade, he said that the Cavs suck. Nope, you suck. 
And then another time during a championship parade, he wore a shirt with the Quicken Loans Q on it that said Quickie as a nod to how quickly the Warriors swept the team that plays in Quicken Loans Arena out of the championship round. Dude's a troll. Joel Embiid, uh, one of the great Instagram trollers of time. He puts, you know, he has a good game against Hassan Whiteside and then posts a picture of on, on Instagram with the location of barbecue chicken. The man loves the internet. What an age, what an age we've reached where um, NBA players are super online. Uh, special shout out to former Blazers who I think, or current and former Blazers fit this category. Ennis Cantor, CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic to some extent. All kind of trolly. Okay, next question comes from David DeVrient at DJD Squared 503 on Twitter who asks, what are your top three Jordan shoes? So I have pretty I have pretty basic taste when it comes to Jordans. I, I'm going to say one, three, and five. Uh, I'm I'm a little guy. I'm like five seven, five eight. Um, so th- some of the some Jordans are just like there's too too much shoe, too much shoe for how little leg I have. Like I really like Jordan Elevens as a basketball shoe, and like when I see dudes playing in Jordan Elevens, I'm like those are tight. But um, on me, that's just that's a little too much shoe. I feel the same way about eights too. Like. I just need longer legs, David. So if you could hook me up with like three more inches, I think I might expand my list a little bit. Next question comes from Jesse from Gmail who asks, you seem to like Dame a lot. Actually, Jesse wrote a long preamble about liking uh, underdogs and the Blazers always have a having a puncher's chance against most teams in the playoffs. But I had to edit it out because I already read one long email. Jesse asks, you seem to like Dame a lot. Would you hypothetically give up a player who has treated this franchise near perfectly in terms of loyalty, leadership, and effort for my three least favorite players who choose to join super teams? KD, LeBron, AD. Uh, let's just get this out of the way. LeBron, absolutely. Absolutely. Even in year 18, absolutely. Um, he's he's just the best player in the world, probably. Uh Dame for Anthony Davis is really tricky because I think Dame's skill set lends itself to just dragging a franchise along uh, on its own better than Anthony Davis does. But I do think Anthony Davis is like is better at winning an individual basketball game because um, he's such a good defensive player. So AD's close. Um, Kevin Durant pre Achilles injury, I, I'm hitting that in a heartbeat. I think he was, had a case for best player in the world before the Achilles injury. Obviously, afterwards, it remains to be seen. So, probably, probably, I don't particularly care for Kevin Durant's personality, but yeah, I probably do that. And then, but what kind of remains to be seen? Work in progress. Because if he's if he's you know 60 percent of the player he was after the Achilles injury, that would be a bummer. But and I, and I wouldn't pull the trigger on the trade. So LeBron, yes. AD, maybe, but probably yes. And KD, absolutely, unless he's way injured. Skozers from Gmail asks, let's assume the Blazers and DeMar DeRozan are, per, are extremely interested in signing. What's your initial reaction? Defensive ability, nice fit. Nice fit next to Damon CJ, flat out hate it. Two, how would you construct our roster to get it done? I think it could be a sneaky, nice fit. Yeah, I, I think DeMar DeRozan would be really valuable um, as a as an addition here. He can play two and three. Uh, I think he's he didn't always have a reputation as a good defensive player, but I think he's like fine, um, competitive defender, sometimes, sometimes really good. Um, he's not an ace stopper by any means, but he's long, and I think his years... Uh, his late years in Toronto and his recent years in San Antonio have kind of 
he's kind of figured out how to be competitive on that end all the time. I do think he, he fits fine next to Damon CJ. He's not much of a shooter. Um, he did take more threes his first season in San Antonio, but then way less this year. So that would get a little bit tricky, but he's a good offensive player and you can figure it out. If they could figure it out with Melo, they can figure it out with, um, with DeMar. The problem is, um, he's so he has a player option on his contract that's for about 28 million dollars i can't imagine that he opts out of that so you'd have to trade for him to get him and the blazers don't really have the parts to trade for him easily you could do some combination of trevor ariza and zach collins to go get him but even then i'm not sure that that gets i'm not sure that that interests the uh the spurs too much and and throwing an Anthony simons in the trade i guess, seems like a little too much for demar Derozan. and also the spurs have a lot of good young guards they don't need other ones to figure out how to get playing time so i think it's really hard to get demar Derozan on the team i think it's just um i don't think this offseason would allow you to do that with the the types of contracts that blazers could easily trade and what demar's current contract situation is Last question of the show comes from Brandon from Gmail, who asks, What do you think about bringing LaMarcus back to Portland this year? Is that at all possible? The Blazers, the last Blazers team with LA on the roster was my favorite Blazers team in recent history. Also, who's the biggest signing the Blazers could go for in the offseason? So biggest signing is really dicey. Like I said, they only have the mid-level exception. I'm not... I'm not sure how big you can swing. Some names I like with that money, Jeremy Grant, Jay Crowder, and maybe Tristan Thompson. The LaMarcus thing, I, it almost comes down to what do the Spurs want? Like, how generous do the Spurs want to be? Would they can would they give would they take kind of a, a crappy offer with some draft picks to treat LaMarcus the right way? Um, or would they say because the players don't really have the talent to trade for him? Much like the Demar Derozan uh, scenario I just laid out, uh, LaMarcus is also making a whole bunch of money, a little less than DeMar, $24 million. So you can construct a, a similar type of trade. Um, it's easy to get it done with Zach and Nurk, but would you trade Would you trade Yusuf Nurkic for Marcus Aldridge? I certainly wouldn't. Um, it's hard It's hard to get it done. I, like it, There are financial ways to make it work. You would have to give up Zach Collins in the deal. Uh, you probably would have to give up multiple firsts for an aging uh, former all-star. LaMarcus Aldridge is good. I think he wants, it sounds like he wants to be here. But um, money-wise, it it seems like it would be a difficult thing to do. Like, <laughs> do, do the Spurs want to sign and trade for Hassan Whiteside? Is there any less Spurs player on earth than Hassan Whiteside? Um, it it just seems it seems unlikely. It, it possible, yes, but highly unlikely. Um, I think it would be fun. It'd be a fun story. I'd um, it, wouldn't it be fun to have Lamarcus return home and say, "I was wrong. I'm so happy to be back. I love you, Dame." It's nice. It's nice. Heartwarming. Let's make it happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Let's make it happen, though. That's going to do it for today's show. We do Mailbag Monday each week. So if this is your first Mailbag Monday you're listening to, we had some technical issues, so it's coming out on Tuesday. Should have come out some hours earlier, but hey, it didn't happen that way. Apologies. But we do this. I record this every Monday evening, and you can get involved by either tweeting at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or emailing the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Also, do me a solid and tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.